Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody here today. Uh, Pastor Brian was slated to be here, uh, but he's fine. Uh, but I took a pretty nasty uh, fall uh, late last week and banged his head up pretty good. And so needed just the, the weekend to recover uh, from that. He's was checked out by doctors, all that kind of stuff. There's no big underlying things, just uh, just kind of passed out and uh, had a rough go on the way down. So uh, just be praying for him uh, in recovery this week and, um, and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And so we're not going to continue uh, today uh, our Roman series uh, like we originally planned. Uh, instead, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38. So if you have a Bible or grab one of the ones in the chairs uh, right in front of you or under the chair in front of you, grab that Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38. We're going to look today excuse me, we're going to look today at um, uh, a, a topic that I think is really important um, and really timely. And it's one that God has been really working in my life and in all my life um, a lot um, about lately. Um, and, and really that journey began um, specifically kind of back in uh, late 2022. So I had been uh, reading a, a devotional in my time with the Lord each day. And so um, sometimes, I, you know, some people like devotions, some people don't like devotionals. I kind of go back and forth, but there's one that I recommend to a lot of people. It's called New Morning Mercies by a guy named Paul Tripp. And I've been going through that and it had been really good, but I felt like God was kind of leading me to uh, uh, just kind of put the devotion aside for a little bit. And between the last couple months of the year, just read through the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, specifically focusing on just the life of Jesus. How did Jesus live? What, what was he about? How did he, you know, what did he care about? What motivated him? And really what would just stand out to me um, through reading those accounts of the life of Jesus just all the way through um, in those several weeks. And so I did that, and, and several things jumped out to me. Uh, and one of those I want to talk to you about today. Um, it's this idea of compassion, this idea of compassion. And so, uh, you know, I don't know what you think of when you think of the word compassion. Uh, you know, there's probably a lot of definitions in here that we would look at and a lot of different ideas of maybe what you think when you think about compassion or what compassion looks like. But we'll talk about that, but compassion is is definitely an evidence or definitely evidence and a characteristic of what we see in the life of Jesus. And, and kind of spoiler alert, then because of that, my contention is and my encouragement and challenge to us today is, is that that should be a part of our lives as well. And so today what I want to do is I want to look at this idea of compassion. And I want to begin by looking at an example of where we see compassion in the life of Jesus in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38. So if you stand with me, uh, we're going to read this, these verses together. And then uh, as we do uh, each week at the end of the main text reading, uh, we are going to just say the phrase, the very words out loud together to distinguish God's word from my own. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38 says, Then Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. 
and have a seat. So every time I read scripture or listen to the Bible being taught, whether it's Pastor Brian or, or different things like that, I always try, I don't, I'm not always as intentional as this, but I always try to think about it in terms of what Pastor Brian has kind of, kind of taught us, that we need to be people that are hearing and obeying. We need to hear from the, the word of the Lord. We need to obey the word of the Lord. So for me, I really ask two questions when I come to scripture. One is, what is God saying? So what is God saying? What does God want me to hear today about him, about me, about life, about how I'm supposed to live and what I'm supposed to do in light of his words? And then that second question is that, is what am I gonna do about it? How am I gonna take what God has spoken to me and what am I gonna take in terms of a next step to actually obey that in and through my life? And so I remember as I was reading through the, the gospels, and I didn't get very far, it was like Matthew chapter nine, right? And I came across this passage in verse 36, this really stood out to me. And it's been something that I've been thinking about kind of at different times from, from that point forward. It said that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. He had compassion for them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And that idea that Jesus, in seeing the crowds, had compassion was just something that stood out to me and something that I really couldn't just shake and get out of my head. And so I, I, I began to kind of look more deeply at this idea of what is compassion? What is this idea of biblical compassion? And, and then, then what does the Bible have to say to us about compassion, about what we should know about this idea of compassion? And the third really is, is, is how can I be more compassionate? And so that's what I want to do in our time that we have together today is I want to kind of retrace those steps and I want to answer those three questions. The first one being, what is compassion biblically? How can we get our mind around what this really is? Second is this idea of uh, what does the Bible have to say? What, what does the Bible teach us about compassion? And then how can we practically live more compassionate lives? So if you're taking notes, I want to begin with the idea and the question of what is compassion? Like I said earlier, if I asked that question and had people raise their hand, we would probably get you know, multiple definitions of the word compassion. There would probably be a lot of similarities. There would probably be some differences. So just so we're on the same page this morning, when, when I talk about compassion, here's what I'm talking about. This is my working definition of compassion. I'm not saying it's the best. I'm not saying that you need to adopt my working definition. I just have the microphone, and so I'm going to tell you what that is this morning, okay? So we're all on the same page. We're kind of moving ahead, and we're able to kind of jump in from there, right? So here's how I define compassion. That compassion is conscious love in action. That compassion is conscious love in action. Now, the word compassion that we find in Matthew chapter 9 is actually a Greek word. I'm going to have them put this on the screen because uh, that's the word. Anybody want to try it for me this morning, right? So somebody in between services gave me um, uh, some help. And so the, the word is pronounced splontnizomai, splontnizomai, okay? You're now done. You may be dismissed for the day. You're like, I got it. I'm good, Right? But it's this idea of being moved to the very bowels of our being, right? Which is a really pleasant thought this morning, right? Like being moved to the bowels, like what, what is that? What, is, what are we talking about? Well, the way that the, the ancient 
writers and kind of people in Jesus' day thought about this was that the bowels, that, that innermost part of who we are, that innermost core of our being, that that was where, that was where um, care and love and pity and sympathy, like that was where it rested. So the, the, the idea when it says compassion is really this idea of being moved to the core of our being. It's not this fleeting kind of afterthought or, or really quick idea or a really quick focus. It's, it's being moved to the very core of who we are. And so I would say it like this. It's conscious love in action. I think we see these three elements of conscious love action expressed back in chapter 9 of Matthew and, and how Jesus revealed and how Jesus practiced this idea of compassionate living. First of this is, is that compassion is conscious. It's conscious. It means that it's aware. It's awake to the people around you. It's awake to the needs of other people. So it says that Jesus saw the crowd. So Jesus saw the crowd. He, he was aware of the crowd. He was aware of the people that were coming to him because they had need in their life. They were, he was aware of the people that were coming to him because they were looking for direction. Not only was he aware that there were people that were there in need, he actually also was focused around and knew what their need was. Look back at verse 36. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So he saw not just the people, he saw their need. He was aware, he was conscious, he was aware that they were living life without direction. They were living life without someone or something to guide them to what was most important. And so we see that, 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 that compassion is, is being aware and conscious of the people around us and the needs of the people around us. But it's not just an awareness or a consciousness, it's conscious love in action. We see that Jesus cared deeply for these people. It says that he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. He saw them as ones who needed guidance, who needed someone to come alongside of them. But he was also moved to action. He was moved to action. Now, how did Jesus respond in this passage? Well, if we go back to 35, it said that he had already been responding. He had been traveling around. He had been teaching. He had been ministering to them. He had been healing them. So he was already doing that. But then even more specifically, Matthew says in verse 37 and 38 that when he saw their need, he turned to the disciples and he invited them to be part of the solution. It says, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So Jesus was aware, he cared, he loved, and, and he was moved to action where he was meeting needs too, but then he invited his disciples in and said, look, look at all of the things that we can do, all the need that's before us. There's so much need, but there's so few people to meet the needs. So go and meet the needs but pray for more workers to help meet the needs too. 
And so compassion is really that, that, that idea of conscious love in action. Well, what else does the Bible have to say about compassion? I wrote down a couple, a couple things that I found just within scriptures and, and how the Bible talked about this idea of compassion. Where else does it point us to this important idea? First of this is it says that compassion is a characteristic of God and his love for people. Not only do we see this in this one example here, but throughout scripture, we see that compassion is a characteristic for God and his love for people. That it's part of who God is. It's part of his character, part of his nature. The psalmist says in Psalm 86, 15, out of the CSB, it says, but you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God. You're slow to anger and rich in faithful love and truth. That compassion is part of the nature of God. It's, it's, it's part of who he is. It's what he expresses. It's, it's what he does. It's part of him. It's part of what he does. God knows our suffering. He is aware of that. God loves us. He cares about us. God works to bring us help and hope. So we see that, that compassion is a characteristic of God and his love for people. Second thing we see in scriptures as we survey this idea is that compassion is seen in the life and actions of Jesus. So not only does the Bible tell us and teach us that it's a characteristic of who God is, we also see this in the life and actions of Jesus. We looked at the example in Matthew chapter 9, but there's also other examples of how, God, how Jesus uh, lived with compassion and how he showed compassion. He showed this conscious love and action to other people. Look on the screen at Matthew 14. 14, we see another example of Jesus having compassion on crowds of people. It says, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. So once again, he saw a great crowd. He cared for them. He loved them. And he was moved to action. He was moved to action. We also see that Jesus has compassion on not just crowds, but on individual people. In Luke 7, 13, Jesus comes across a widow whose son has just died. And here's his response, according to Luke. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And he said to her, do not weep. Again, he saw this, this, this one person, not just a crowd, but an individual person. And he said, out of compassion, do not weep. The story goes on to say how he brought her son back to life and he met that need. We also see through all throughout scripture that Jesus showed compassion and showed love and action in, in, in many different ways and many different circumstances. He fed people, he healed people. He taught people, he forgave people. That wherever we see Jesus moving and responding and working, he was expressing a conscious love in action. But we also don't just see that in his life. Third thing is this, is that compassion is illustrated in the teachings of Jesus as well. Not only was he a person that, that lived a compassionate life, he also taught others to be compassionate as well couple examples. In Luke chapter 10, 33, Jesus is telling the story of the Good Samaritan. So there was a man that was traveling who was, was jumped by a, a group of other people, and he was robbed, he was beaten, he was stripped naked, and he was left for dead. 
And so uh, a couple of uh, religious people come by and, and decide not to help him in that moment. But then Jesus says a, a Samaritan comes by. He sees the man, he cares for the man, and he responds in a loving way by taking the man, putting him on his own donkey, putting him on his own transportation, taking him to a place to stay, and pays for the man's stay as well as the medicine and the food that he would be healed and said, if you need more money, I'll be back next week and I'll bring more. Jesus' teaching this is a way to encourage us to do the same. We also see the story of the prodigal son. There was a, a father that had two sons. The younger son comes to the father and says, Dad, um, I want my inheritance now. Basically saying, I don't care about you. I don't care about the relationship. I just care about the money that I'm going to get one day when you die. The father gives the money to the son, and many of us know the story. He goes and he squanders that money on wild living and finds himself just at rock bottom, broke, hopeless, and decides, I'll just go back and ask my dad for a job. There are people that work on their property and on their land. I'll just go and, and I'll be a hired servant. I just, need, I just need something. I need a place. But the dad had other things in mind when the son came back. In Luke 15, 20, it says, And he arose and came to his father. As, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him felt compassion, and ran, embraced him, and kissed him. So the son was hoping just for a, a lowly place and a, and a job, but the father sees the son, and out of his love runs to the son. And if you know the story, he throws a party and a celebration, and he puts rings on the boy's fingers and enclose him and brings him back, not as a paid servant in the family, but brings him back in the place of the loved son. Jesus teaches these things to reveal to us and remind us of the call to live with compassion. And so that's what we see. Number four is that compassion is the calling for those who follow Jesus. As we look at the scriptures, we see that compassion is the characteristic for God and his love for us. And compassion is, is seen in the life and is seen in the teachings of Jesus and kind of who Jesus is and what he's about. But it's also seen in the calling that he has given to us as his followers, that we too would live compassionate lives. Back in Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus says, pray for workers, He's saying, pray that my people would go into the fields and the harvest and out of the compassion that I've given to them would live compassionate lives. We've been called to compassion as well. Look what Jesus says in John 14, 12. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these he will do because I'm going to the Father. Jesus says, you have been called to do what I do, to be like me, to follow me, to put your trust and your hope and your belief in me, and then, and then live your life in the way that I lived my life. And he says, you'll do what I do, but then he says, you'll even do greater things than I did. 
See, as followers of Jesus, we've been called to a life of conscious love and action. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Colossians chapter 3, 12 through 14. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Paul, in writing this, is, is just said, listen, take off sin. Take off the things that keep us from running the race of being faithful to the calling God has given to us. And he said, I want you to put on, to clothe yourselves with compassion. That compassion would be what is seen in and through your life. Compassion would, it would be what is evidence. It's, it's the style that you wear and the style that you live. That we would be known as people of compassion. So then I ask this third question. Well, then how can we live a more compassionate life? When I was first studying this in my own time and even as I looked at it the past couple of days and, and really thought about this, I, I was reminded again of, of how much we need to be compassionate and how lacking compassion really is in our culture today. I don't know about you, but when I look around at how people view people, how people treat people, the priorities that we have in our life and kind of how we respond and view others, I'm, I'm reminded that it doesn't seem like we've answered a call to live compassionate lives. It seems that so often we're more at odds than ever. There's more conflict in our lives and around us that people are just meaner and more cruel, partly because it's easier to do when you're, when you're looking at a screen and not looking at somebody face to face. People are so often a means to get what I want, how I want it, when I want it. People are often something to make fun of and to laugh at. People are a way to maybe make me feel better about my life. And we tend to live a me first mentality and a mind first mentality. But if I'm honest, that when I see that maybe in the world around us, and then I kind of turn that, that lens and look at my own life, I think far too often my life is lacking in compassion. It's easy to point out everybody else, but it's hard to say, do I need to be more compassionate? And the answer is often, I think I do. So how do I do that? How can we practically position ourselves to live more compassionate lives? Share four quick things and we'll wrap up. First is this, is that if we want to live a more compassionate life, we need to learn to see people as Jesus sees people. We need to learn to see people as Jesus sees people. Matthew said, Jesus saw the crowd, and he saw their need. Jesus saw the widow. Jesus saw the person. Jesus, Jesus you know, saw the woman in need. I mean, Jesus saw people. And when he saw them, he, he viewed them through a certain lens. It was a lens that we find, that, and it really comes all the way back to the beginning of Genesis 127. 
Genesis says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. It's a reminder that when we see people, we see people who are made in the very image of God, who have been stamped with God's image and God's likeness, that have inherent and innate value and worth, not because of what they do or what they don't do or who they are or who they're not, but because they were made in the image of God. And when we see people, to be compassionate people ourselves, we have to learn to see people the way Jesus sees people. When he sees me, he sees somebody who was worth serving. Not because I earned it or deserved it, but because that's what it means for him to love. He doesn't see my mistakes, he sees who I can be and who I am now because of my faith in him. And so a prayer that I've begun to pray for the past several years, and maybe one day I won't have to pray it every single day, but I still have to pray it every single day, is God today, help me see people like you see people. Because my tendency is to see them maybe how I want to see them or how other people tell me to see them. So if you want to live more compassionate lives, we need to see people the way that Jesus sees people. Second thing is this, is that we need to see ourselves the way Jesus sees us. We need to see ourselves the way Jesus sees us. We need to see his love for us. We need to see his compassion extended to us. We need to see that we too are valuable. We too are made in the image of God, that we too are worth, are worth dying for as he died on the cross for, for the entire world. We need to see that we have great value and worth in the eyes of God. And we need to see that as he's extended compassion to us, he has called us to extend compassion to others. In Ephesians 2.10, Paul writes, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So not only do we need to begin to say, listen, we are, a, we are those who are recipients of the compassion of God, recipients of Jesus' love in action, but he's now called us and put us on mission to do the same to those in our lives and the world around us. If we excuse ourselves from being part of the solution, it's really easy to just sit back and focus on the problem but to see yourself the way that God sees you. As a follower of his son, you are seen as part of the solution. You are the worker sent out in the field for the harvest. So we need to see people the way Jesus sees people. We need to see ourselves the way that Jesus sees them. We need to see situations and suffering as Jesus sees them. Jesus looked at situations in people's lives, the suffering in people's lives, and he looked at them in a certain way. He looked at them differently because of his compassion. You know, when we go back to Matthew chapter 9, as we read earlier, when he saw the crowd and he saw their need, he saw it as an opportunity to do something about it. And we see that all throughout the life of Jesus. One of my favorite uh, passage of scriptures in John chapter 9, verse 1 through 3. Jesus is walking with his disciples, and here's what it says. It says, as he passed by, 
he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? See, the common thought of the day was if something was wrong with somebody physically or they were suffering, it was a result of their sin or the sin of their parents. So they're walking along, they see a man born blind, and they say, okay, listen, whose fault is that? How did he get in that situation? Was it his sin or his parents' sin? Here's what Jesus says. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus saw situations and suffering differently. The disciples were focused on the why. Jesus was focused on the what can I do. I think sometimes we find ourselves in a place where we see people and we see situations and we see suffering and we want to determine the why. And if the why puts fault on that person in any way, we feel like that then excuses us from having to do anything to help the situation. You hear what I'm saying? So like if they're in that situation because their poor decision, because they didn't do what was right, well then it's not my responsibility to show compassion to them, they're getting what they deserve. But it could be that their poor decisions led them to that. But if Jesus had looked at my life and your life and said, the reason why you're lost in sin is because you're a sinner, it's not my problem, then salvation would never be ours to attain. See, we need to see situations and circumstances as opportunities for God to be glorified and for people to be shown compassion. Last thing is this, is that we need to serve people as Jesus served them. Well, how did Jesus serve? Well, we looked at that. He served sacrificially and selflessly. He served out of a, a posture of humility. He lived out the calling he said was most important that We are to love God and we are to love others as ourselves. See, we are to be people who live in a way where we express conscious love in action. Have you ever ever come across something or seen an act of compassion that just kind of stuck with you and, and moved you? like kind of moved you, like we said earlier, like to the core, like to the bowels of who you are, right? So one example of that for me was a picture that I saw probably, I don't know, five, six years ago. It was this picture here. Some of you may have seen it. It, uh, it kind of went viral back in the day, whatever that looked like. So it's a picture of uh, the lady who, the blonde-haired lady is a, uh, a European aid worker, her name's Anja, and she was just serving, going to care for people in um, Nigeria and and came across this two-year-old little boy who later became named Hope. And somebody took the picture of her 
uh, kneeling down, giving him some food and, and water. So I saw the picture, and so you, you want to figure out what's the backstory. Well, so in this culture, there are numerous kids like Hope whose parents or others in just kind of uh, superstition believe that, that they are witches. So if they are accused of that, if whoever finds that they're witches, then they are cast aside from their families and they're cast aside from society. And they basically, as a two-year-old, he's on his own to live on the street. And so they found him and gave him some water and looked at that. And I saw that picture and I saw compassion. She saw the boy. She cared enough to bend down and to give him a drink. But there's more to the story. So go to that next, next picture. So about a year later, they recreated the picture. Same lady, different hair color. Uh, same boy, uh, doing a whole lot better. And a couple years later, they shared another update and another picture. <clears throat> He's going to school for the first time. See, what had happened was, was that um, Anja, I think it's how you would say her name, uh, went over and in, in, in doing that, she saw the great need and decided she was going to care for not just hope, but other kids who found themselves in that situation. So she started a rescue ministry and started a home for these kids who had been discarded because of their kind of superstitiousness in their society. And last I read last year, I think they had rescued over 100 kids that found themselves in that place. And they had over 70 that were living in this compound that they started. And what was really kind of crazy was all that happened because the picture went viral. Because people saw the picture and they said, what can I do to help? And so they began to send money. Now, not every act of compassion is going to go viral. Not every act of compassion needs to go viral. But it's a reminder of the power of compassionate living. And so my question for you as we just kind of wrap up is, is this, is are you living a compassionate life? Are you living a compassionate life? Are you a person whose life is marked with conscious love in action? Are there ways that you need to be more compassionate? Are there people or groups of people that you need to be more compassionate to? The reality is, is that when we look at the life of Jesus, we see a life of compassion. And I think as we, we as his people are called to the same. 